Welcome to the Sales Lead Dog Podcast, hosted by CRM technology and sales process expert, Christopher Smith, talking with sales leaders that have separated themselves from the rest of the pack. Listen to find out how the best of the best achieve success with their team and CRM technology. And remember, unless you are the lead dog, the view never changes. Welcome to Sales Lead Dog. Today, I have joining me Jason Cutter of Cutter Consulting Group. Jason, welcome to Sales Lead Dog. Thanks for having me, Chris. I am super excited to be here. And any chance to talk to anyone about sales uh, is always fun for me and also feels weird whenever I say that to think about it. So, uh, you know what? I love it, too. It's one of the things when I started this podcast, I had no idea how much I was going to enjoy sitting and listening. Every one of these is a master class for me. I love it. So thanks again for coming on. Tell me about Cutter Consulting Group. Well, it was born out of uh, about 16 years experience inside telephone sales rooms running both sales and the lead gen side for call centers, mostly business to consumer. And what I learned over the years is what it takes to build scalable sales operations. So scalable is instead of hiring 10 people and firing eight of them and hoping that you get the right people that know how to do it, it's building a system and process that you can repeat almost like a franchise, no matter how many offices, no matter how many reps. So now companies hire me to do that for them, to take them to the next level of their sales operation, systems, processes, dirty things like scripts that nobody wants to admit that are valuable, but they are, uh, and how that helps bridge the gap from where you are to where you want to be. And so it involves a lot of that, a lot of um, improving the tools they have, putting in training, workshops, leadership development. Uh, you know, there's a lot of organizations do the classic, let's take our salespeople and promote them up to managers and hope they know how to manage as well as they sold. And uh, they leave them at that. And then that falls apart like a house of cards. So I do a lot of stuff around that and helping organizations just succeed, you know, help their reps close more deals, make more money, and then lower their attrition, their turnover, so that everyone can succeed the company and their clients. That's awesome. Now, Jason, you do a lot. You are not only a sales consultant, but you have a podcast. You're an author. Book is right there. For those of you watching on YouTube, you can see the book on the shelf behind them, Selling with Authentic Persuasion. So we're going to talk about that. But let's go back to the beginning. How did you get your start in sales? How did you start this journey? Well, I, uh, I went probably the route that, uh, well, let's just say most people didn't go, uh, who are in my position as a consultant and author and podcaster and speaker. Uh, I got my bachelor's degree in marine biology from UC Santa Cruz, the mighty banana slugs, and uh, I tagged sharks for years. Uh, and I say that because it's an interesting segue into how I got here. My childhood was filled with being an awkward, late blooming, shy, bullied child, only child, and the product of two very analytical parents, super loving, best parents. I'm so grateful they're still together. Um, but my mom was a banker and in finance, my dad was an engineer and in project management and they moved their way up. And so they're both analytical. And given that my mom as the banker was also uh, a, a huge she, she really disliked salespeople because of what she saw in the bank, what she saw in her own life. And so I was raised by analytical parents who really, really hated salespeople. Uh, thus, 
I chose sharks. That was a safer, better alternative than dealing with people <laughs> in any career. Different kind of shark, um, right? Yeah, different real, kind of sharks. Real sharks. The real sharks that are, you know, actually easier to deal with. They have one thing on their mind and they have one direction they go. And so you just got to stay away from the business end, keep your hands inside the vehicle at all times. And, you know, you're, you're pretty good usually. Um, I didn't think I was good with people. I didn't really like people. Uh, I wasn't a huge fan. I didn't want a career in dealing with people. Then life took many twists and turns. I was at Microsoft for a couple of years doing tech support because I realized, wait, I am pretty good with people and solving problems. That, that ended and I realized that wasn't for me. I've ended up in a sales role. It was in the mortgage business in 2002, which was the height of the real estate boom in Seattle and across the country. And so it was pure order taking. I didn't actually have to sell or learn anything about sales. So I thought I was just helping people. I didn't even realize I was in a sales job until years and years later. Um, and that just kind of evolved and morphed from there into where I am now and what I had to teach myself along the way. Before we talk about the book, I want to talk a little bit about your keynote speaking. Um, how'd you get into that? Um, it was actually a result of many things that kind of have happened over the years. When I was in my first management role in sales, I realized that I was doing management and training of new hires and, and constantly meeting. I realized that managing, speaking to the group, training new hires, and also sales itself was a form of public speaking. And most people put public speaking ahead of even death as their number one fear. But I realized like if I wanted to get better at those things, I would do, I should do public speaking. I should get better at it. So I found out about Toastmasters and I joined Toastmasters. And then that kicked off two years of going almost every week to a Toastmasters meeting. And if anyone's not familiar with it and you want to either get better at speaking, be a public speaker, or just get better at communicating even in a sales role, Toastmasters is where you go for fun on a voluntary basis, not under court order to practice public speaking in front of other people. Um, and it was great. It was uh, fundamental and changed the way I saw speaking and how I approached it and what I stressed about. And I realized like from then and all the training I've done, that's what I really like to do the most, right? I can sell right. and I can do lots of things when it comes to selling, but I love teaching. I love that light bulb moment that people have when you teach them something and they use it. And I, part of the reason why I wrote my book was to have that vehicle to help with speaking and to give me content to speak about and just kind of tie that all together. And um, the unfortunate part was the plan was to have the book, launch the book, launch into speaking, pandemic happened. And so the book came out in the silence of the pandemic. And I had to wait till this year to actually get on stage for the first time at conferences, which I've done now, I think eight times this year uh, so far. And um, yeah, it's, it's really great, uh, you know, to speak to a crowd, get nervous before doing it, but love nothing more than just sharing and helping people transform their opinions about sales and operations. Now, that's great, especially when you get that energy back and the feedback back from the crowd. That is a great feeling. So selling with authentic persuasion, what does that mean to sell with authentic persuasion? Well, I think, and here's what's interesting is, is from when I wrote the book to launching it and then, you know, talking to people about it, some people like the words, some people don't like the words, you know, authenticity is a very 
I'll just say it, overused buzzword in the last couple of years where everyone's trying to be authentic and you should be authentic. And so it has this, you know, some people really don't like it. It's, it's funny how that comes up. Um, for me, it's both of those parts of the formula, authentic and persuasion are what's required to be an effective sales professional. And again, there's people kind of like what I was talking about organizations. There's people who fell into sales kind of like myself and they didn't have a plan to be in sales or they don't know enough about sales other than the dirty, gross experiences we've all had as a customer or potential customer at the hand of salespeople. And I'm using air quotes because no. When we when we put that label on it, it's the gross label that people right. don't want to use and don't no. want to think about. So for me, what I realized was the authentic persuasion framework and formula first starts with the authenticity. The person who's in that selling role must be authentic to who they are. Because what I see a lot of times, take myself, for example, I think sales is X. It's this person. It's this persona. It's Wolf of Wall Street. It's Boiler Room. Like That's what it takes to sell. And so either what people try to do is they try to copy that thinking that's what you should do, which please don't, or they just do nothing at all. And they're worried about being themselves because they think that's not good enough. And in fact, the more authentic you can be uh, to who you are and your strengths, like I'm the product of two analytical parents. I'm an analytical salesperson. I'm looking for the data. I'm like, I could have been a detective in, a pat, in, in another life <laughs> where I just want to find it. What is the thing? And then how do I just run with that thing? That's what my sales style is. And for the longest time, I thought that. Then I realized, wait, that's my superpower. That's what I bring to potential clients is that value versus other people who are like happy hours and schmoozing and storytelling and charisma and all these other things. If that's you, great. If it's not you, don't try to be that. Um, and so that's the authentic piece in, in a nutshell. There's a lot more to it that I write about in the book um, and train on. And then there's the persuasion piece because what happens and the subtitle to the book is transform from order taker to quota breaker is there's people, again, myself, not just myself, but I saw, I've seen hundreds and hundreds of people in and out of sales over my career where people act like order takers and meaning they don't have enough training. They don't understand the mindset and the strategies and how to be an effective sales professional and they know what's gross. So instead they just follow Bob Berg's advice, which is get people to know, like, and trust them and leave it at that and hope that's enough, right. but that's not right. And so the persuasion piece is the active pursuit of helping the right people across the finish line and leaving them in a better place, which is then the persuasion. So you have to put both of those. Now, what's interesting is most people come to me and all they want to know is the persuasion piece. What do I have to say to close more deals? How do I ask for the sale? How do I overcome objections? And I'm like, that doesn't matter unless we deal with the authenticity piece and the foundation. Right? right. It's like if anyone were to buy me really expensive golf clubs, it would literally not change how terrible I am at golf. Right. That tool is in the wrong hands. I've got to work on the foundation. Then we can deal with getting better clubs. I'm glad you connected authenticity with foundation, because as you were talking, that's right where my mind was going, that if you don't have that that bottom layer that you're building everything else on, you're working on on quicksand, basically, you know, it's yeah. not going to be permanent. It's not really going to support any kind of uh, uh, pressure or pushing or anything. It's going to fall apart. Yeah. And one of the biggest things too, that I address in, in the book is 
understanding why you're in sales. And the top line answer that most people say is for the money, right? I'm in it for the money, of course. But why are you in it for the money? Like, what's the money mean to you? Because it always means something, right? Mm-hmm. Even if it's, and I had a salesperson that I worked with where her goal was to have money in the bank. But I was like, why? And she said, well, because she moved here from another country where, and they had no money and she wants to have money so that if anyone in her family ever needs help, she's the go-to and she can help them out. Right. So for her, actually the money, but the money is attached to a much bigger meaning and it's exactly. so emotional. Even as I think about it, I my my I get goosebumps thinking about her telling me that story. And so one of the things that I help people understand is why are you in sales? Why do you want to make the money at the deepest level possible? Just keep digging like you would do with one of your clients. And then take that and put that on a vision board or something as a visual reminder. Because here's what you and I both know: sales is hard. If you're amazing you might be closing three out of 10 opportunities, depending on your life cycle, like the sales cycle and and the lead flow, which means you're losing 70% of the time. So you have to remember why you're doing it so you can pick yourself up after falling down over and over again, because that's what it takes. Even if you're amazing and you're winning, you're still having to pick yourself up a bunch. Yeah, and I, I... I talk about this a lot in the podcast with sales leaders that, you know, if you don't have a compelling reason as to why you're doing what you're doing, that isn't just money. It, you know, it can't be about money. It has to go deeper. You're not going to make it. You're not going to survive long-term through the grind that selling yeah. is. How do you get people to shift perspective if necessary to, to begin building that foundation of authenticity? You know, it's it's a couple of things. One is that why is super important. The second one is what their strengths are. Um, what are they bringing to the table? Again, I am a naturally analytical problem solving person. So what are my strengths? And then owning that and realizing that's okay. And that who you are is the important part. And the other thing for the authenticity is understanding there is no natural born salesperson. And I will argue that for a very long time, there's people who see someone, there's natural born salesperson, right? Sell ice to Eskimos, which I think is the worst thing you could ever do, because that's just the sign of a terrible intent for a salesperson, right? Sell something to somebody that they don't need. Um, I think, I think there's some attributes that help in a sales environment, extrovert, charismatic storytelling, all those things might help doesn't appeal to everybody. And normally what it is, is it's more that that person has been that way and honing that since they were probably a kid and schmoozing their way through things since they were a kid. And they've just parlayed that into the, the, the right career, right. right? Which is the opposite of me. And so a lot of people think they have to be this way. And I feel, and there's five traits that I show people that are actually more important for success in sales or any profession. And as long as you have those or you're willing to work on those, you bring you to the table and you will be amazing and your customers will appreciate it. Can we talk about two of those traits, two that you think are really important? Yeah, and um, I'm glad you asked because I'll, I'll talk about the first two and the priorities and leave out the other ones that everyone always thinks of as the important ones and the important right. ones being like persistence, grit, stuff like that. I think those are good. But if you're misguided and go in the wrong direction, you can be as persistent and gritty as you want and it's terrible for you or for everyone else. Um, the top two on the, my list of five is openness and curiosity. 
And again, that might seem weird that I'm saying to be a amazing, effective selling professional. Number one is openness. Number two is curiosity, but it's so true. And it's so important above everything else. And the reason why I say that is I have seen so many veteran salespeople who have been in the business for a long time, and then they're trying to get a new job. And then you hire them into a, a new role at a new job, and they're bringing all this experience, and they literally are closed-minded. They want to do it the way they've always done it. And they don't want to follow your process or do it a certain way. They just want to do it their way. And that never works out. So somebody who's open to feedback, to ideas, to, um, hey, here's this new scripting, or here's a new way to say this. We want you to try this because we know it's going to work. Somebody who's open to that is, is, is going to do well. Once they're open, curiosity is so important, not just about their product, the service, the industry, like being a student of all that, curious of that prospect they're talking to. Because a lot of people are in sales. They think that what they have is the best thing ever and everyone should just want it. And they don't actually care about other people and what makes them tick and how to help that individual, which right. we can talk about on more tangents here, but they're not curious about people. They don't care. They don't ask questions. And then their efforts will fall really flat on a lot of people. It's really interesting that, you know, openness and curiosity that I'm thinking about to truly be curious, authentically curious, you have to be open. You can't do it without that being, you know, being able to be open and, and uh, you know, to, they go hand in hand. Do you agree with that? I do. And that's why I put it in that order. I mean, you only asked for two, so I won't talk about the other ones. You but buy the book they're, for they're, the rest. <laughs> buy the book for the rest. It's in there. It's it's important to look at. Um, uh, but the key is, is it's in that order as well. Because again, exactly what you're saying is like, you can be super curious, but if you're not open, you're going to learn all kinds of stuff that you don't really take in or care about or right. use for the right reasons, right? right? Because I see a lot of curious salespeople who act curious and they want to learn some things so they can use it. And then it's more manipulation than persuasion. Right. And then again, that's, that's what people like you and I are trying to change about sales in general and get right. rid of. And I've been on those sales calls where, you know, I've been the recipient where people are asking me questions and I can tell you don't give a shit what I'm going to say no. for my answer. You're just asking this because it's question number three of seven you have to ask me. Yep. Uh, they know that they're supposed to ask questions. They know that if I ask you questions, it'll seem like I care. Uh, I want to get through this. Let me just go through it. It doesn't matter what you say, because again, I think I am uh, amazing. I think my product is amazing and I'm going to sell it to you whether I, I, I know about you or not. I don't need to know about you. Everyone wins, right? It's the everyone wins sales strategy, which is gross unless you're selling like magazines or you know some like commodity uh, right. otherwise you need to know and the other part that's also doesn't work especially from a customer standpoint is where you can tell that salesperson is asking all kinds of questions and what they're looking for is the ammunition they need to right. manipulate you into buying and either corner you or trick you and right. that's what leads a lot of order taking salespeople to be afraid of asking questions because right. they're afraid of doing that to other people or having people push back and say, why are you asking me all those questions? You're just trying to use this against me. And right. so that leads the right people to not ask enough questions either. That's right. And I think that if, if you don't have that openness, 
you don't have the ability to sit there and truly evaluate who you're talking to to say, what is the best way I can help this person? Mm -hmm. You're going to be rigid and follow you know, your path, whatever it is that your perspective you're coming from. You don't have that ability to put yourself truly in the shoes of your customer. Um, how, do you, how do you help people when that struggle with openness? How do you help bring that out and get them to that place of openness? So that's a really tough one. And I've never had anyone ask me that question before. My semi-smart answer is, well, they have to be open so that I can then teach them how to be open, uh, <laughs> which then is like this catch 22, because if they're right. not open right. to being open, then I'm never going to help them. Um, that's one of those things. And that's where it's the primary step. Uh, really, they have to be bringing that with them. They can always be more open. And really right. being more right. open is feeding into the curiosity, being more open in the business sense, which is, hey, I listened to your call. Here's some things you could say better. That comes, that openness in that category, right? Because it's all inclusive is right. where they have to feel like it's safe. People are trying to help them and they have to get their ego out of the way. The biggest thing that keeps people from being open is the ego is in the way saying it's safer in my bubble. I don't need to know anything else because outside is danger and might make me feel bad about myself for all these evolutionary, biological, psychological reasons we could get into. Um, and I don't want to learn anything. So for me, what I found, and this is why this is number one on the list, the openness is that you hire somebody who's either open or they're not. And if they're not open, it's, it's up to them. But if they're not going to be open, I, I mean, and I've learned how to filter those people out in the recruiting process, right? Because I can teach somebody everything else, as long as they're open and curious, curious, we can take care of the rest. Yeah, that uh, I, I agree with what you're saying that it, I've learned that they're just people they're they're just rigid, they're set in their ways, they're not willing to adapt. That to me, I don't know how you function um, and be <laughs> successful if if you don't possess the, that trait of openness these days. Yeah, yeah. I mean, having a fixed mindset where you're not open, and and hey, there's if, if we look at our lives and speak about myself, there's areas for myself and for others where. I'm very rigid or fixed in this one category, right? My beliefs or my thoughts and my ideas around this. And then there's others where we're more open. Same thing where people are open to change in some areas and trying things that are new. And then other areas like literally, uh, I'm not gonna change that thing, right? Yeah. I may try a new restaurant. I'm never moving out of this town, yeah. right? Um, and so I think it's about, are they open? Can they be open in terms of this? And if they're so rigid and their mindset is fixed, same thing with selling. And this is the dangerous balance when trying to coach someone, especially if they're in sales as an order taker, is that that same thing is true. If their prospective client, if that lead, that prospect is so close-minded, then you're not going to change their mind, right? It's not going to work. However, if you're weak in sales and you're not able to detect that, you might give up too early using that as the logic all the time, which is, oh, well, they have a closed mind and they're not open to it, so I'm not going to try, right? There's, there's right. trying with someone that could be on the fence and then there's you know, just not doing it. So I think that's also important too, is, is the longer you're in sales, the more you realize if somebody is really closed-minded about your idea, your product, your service... Just move on. Seven billion people on the planet. Yep. What was the hardest thing about writing this book? 
Uh, honestly, the hardest part was the imposter syndrome and the doubts every single moment of every single day, probably. Um, uh, honestly, it it was, it, it was so tough. In fact, I wrote the book without a title. I didn't have the title until I was literally done with, I was moving through most of the edits the second time writing the book, which I'll talk about that in a second. Um, and I was, I remember one morning I was listening to a podcast and the guest on the podcast was like, here's my eight steps for doing this. And I'm like, I have no steps. I have no framework. Like I have a philosophy, but, and I just felt like the biggest imposter. And I was like, what the hell am I doing? I feel like such a phony, which most people do, uh, whether they admit it or not. Like, it's just that part of our brain, even if we're amazing, oh, yeah. people think we're amazing. Our brain is just it's just a liar and it's so mean. And so literally I got home, it was like six 30 in the morning. I sat down in the corner of the living room. Cause I'm like, I'm just going to sit here. I'm not getting up until I have a title for this book. And I figure out what the hell I'm doing. Um, and, uh, and then that's when I came up with authentic persuasion and whatnot. Um, hmm. the second hardest thing about writing the book was the fact that I wrote it and I'm a really fast writer and it was really easy to write. That process was amazingly quick, but I wrote it and I read it and I was like, this is garbage. And I threw it away and rewrote it again. And we're talking 60,000 words. So I wrote, I threw it away and then wrote it a second time from scratch. And then we really edited. Luckily, my editor is amazing and makes me sound really smart on, <laughs> in the written word. Um, clean up my, uh, my grammar. Um, but yeah, that was, that was hard as well, reading it and also knowing, is this bad because of imposter syndrome? Or is this bad because it's just boring and there's nothing to it? Right. And uh, I'm so glad I rewrote it. I'm so yeah. Happy. No, it it to me just I I know you said earlier that some people don't like the title or maybe you react in the wrong way to the title, but to me the title completely resonated. Yeah. That, because I I'm a huge believer in authenticity, that you've got to start there, and you have to be willing to talk yourself out of a deal to say, hey, look, this isn't the right fit. You know, we're not the right match here there's probably a better one for you. And I wish you the best of luck and see you later. Yeah. I, I actually have a chapter in the book called the power of saying no, which is the power for both them as the customer and doing what's right. Obviously that's, that's easiest to understand. Um, but then also the power internal to you, which is the power you get from telling the wrong people no, and how much power that gives you when you tell the right people. Yes then you mean it, then you know there's a difference in you versus others because it's not about the money because you would tell people no. And I've told that, I've had prospective clients who say, well, you're just telling me this because you want to, me to buy from you. No, if you were not the right fit, I would tell you no. In fact, last week I told somebody no, and here's why. I'm yeah. telling you yes, because we both know you need this. Right. Right. And that's different. And that's powerful. And yes. most people don't embrace that because they're coming from more scarcity than abundance right. versus if it's a good fit, I'm, I'm going to help you. But if it's not, I'm going to help you some other way. Exactly. Exactly. I'm a big believer in that. And I've done that before too, where I've like, just early on, I can just tell, look, this is not, we're not aligned, you know, and uh, that's okay. We don't have to always be aligned with people. You know, they have different needs than what I can provide. Yeah. And, you know, so, you know, I'm helping them by saying, you know, we're not the right fit as opposed to trying to scram that square peg in the round hole, which really exactly. doesn't serve anyone. No, it uh, doesn't. In short term, it seems good. Long term, it won't work out because they're going to realize it when they wake up 
the next day and buyer's remorse kicks in and they cancel or return it, it's always going to be bad long-term. It feels good short-term, but you know, it's not good. Um, can I, can I share something else? Oh, yeah, please. Uh, I guess, you know, in case they don't get the book, but something from that chapter that I think is really helpful in this conversation too. Yeah. Oh, please. Um, so the other thing with the power of saying no and where that's really valuable, and I help a lot of salespeople understand this and leverage it, actually leverage it for their gain, which stay with me. I know this might sound weird, but like I, I'm going somewhere with this is that when like that example where you told somebody, no, the square peg problem, I got a round hole solution. It's just not a good fit. I can't help you. In that moment, you did something that professionals do that what they were worried about was what a salesperson wouldn't do. Because when we talk about sales in the dirty sense, salesperson is looking out for their own motivation. They want to manipulate. They want to get it done. They want to close the deal for their own sake. They don't always care what happens to the other person. The moment you cross that line into the professional mode and tell the wrong people no, that non-client now says, holy crap, I thought this person was going to sell me. I just assumed like I was in for a fight. They literally told me no. And once the shock wears off because they're surprised, they'll realize, wait, that's not what salespeople do. This person is different because they told me no, I actually trust them more and I appreciate them. I've had clients like beg me, no, please let me sign up after I've said no. And I'm, it's not a tactic. I'm not doing the right. takeaway, right. right? I'm not playing hard to get. Like, I mean it, you, you yeah. don't, don't. Um, but what's interesting is that if you're a professional and you play the long game, those people you tell no to will generally become amazing referral sources for you yeah. because now they will tell their friends or coworkers or businesses that could use you and that is so powerful because again, imagine if you go to a mechanic and you have a check engine light and the mechanic looks at your car and says, oh, there was just this one switch. I hit this. I reset it for you. I'm not charging you anything. That's not what you were expecting. You're expecting a big fat bill and them to take advantage of you. And so when you don't get that, when you get a good experience, what are you going to do now if anyone ever asked for a mechanic? Oh, that, that's such a great analogy. I've had that experience where... Um, you know, I had a problem with my car and a guy who was working with say, hey, take it to this shop. I know it's not close to where you live, but it is worth the drive. They were the most honest mechanics around. And it was the same kind of thing. I went in there and they were like, you know, like, yeah, they took a look and they're like, here we go. And it was like $20 or some nominal amount. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. What? I've, it's not $400 or 600 or whatever. And they're like, no, no, it's a piece of cake. We did this. Boom, you're out. And I'm like, who are these guys? And I referred so much business to them. Everybody I knew, I'm like, don't waste your time going anywhere else but these guys. And uh, it's so true what you said, that that power of, of just a simple, like foregoing that short-term gain, you, yeah. you get a much longer-term win. Well, and here's the, and, and that's a great, story. I have one that I talk about in the book uh, about my parents when they had someone come to help them fix a, their dishwasher. Here's the challenge though. And this is what I see in the real world application because people are listening to this going, okay, guys, that sounds great. But like, seriously, because here's the thing that I see is a lot of people are in sales and they don't know how long they're going to stay in there. 
Mm-hmm. Now, if we're talking about sales professionals who are in it for the career and the long term, that's a different group. But a lot of people either don't know if they're going to be in sales because it's so rough for them now and they're not winning and it's up and down and they're not succeeding, or they don't even know if they're going to stay at the same company more than six months. If you've been in any sales organization for six months, you've seen so much turnover that you no longer have faith in yourself to stay in that place, whether it's your fault or the company's fault. And so a lot of people then default to short term. They're not planting seeds like a farmer for referrals they might get next year because they don't know if they're going to be alive next year, right? In their sales career. And so then they go to short term thinking, and then they're just in this cycle. And it's just not effective. You have to like, I have a chapter in there called act like a hunter, think like a farmer. So you have to eat today, but you've also got to plant the right seeds long-term That's right. and play the long game. That's right. I, I know I completely agree. I mean, I don't want to come across like I'm this altruistic thing that I'll turn away every deal. No, um, no, no, it's not that at all, but it's got to be the right fit, you know, and it's like the goal, the, the outcome has to be assured. And again, it's coming back from that that foundation of authenticity that I know I truly believe I can help my customers. And uh, if I can't, then I'm gonna tell them that. Yeah, plain and simple. Um, so if there was one thing you wanted me to take away from your book, what is that one thing? You know, I, th- I think the biggest thing and this shifts both the authenticity piece that we were talking about early on and the persuasion piece, which is the selling aspect, right? The sales right. process piece right. is that sales is service. Most people think sales is dirty and sales is manipulation or sales is something I'm doing to you. When you take a step back and you see what sales really could be and should be, the act of selling is the act of doing a service for somebody else, which is what we're talking about. And we're not talking altruistic. I'm talking, you make as much money as you possibly can serving people and bringing value and solving problems and helping the right people. There's more than enough. Like this is, that's what we're talking about. The difference is, is that when you see sales as service and you see that your job as a sales professional is to do something for your clients and with your clients, not to them, then it changes both your mindset and what you think your role is. And it also changes the conversation because now it's a team event. It's you and me versus your problems. It's you and me to go to your goals instead of you versus me in your wallet. Uh, And that's a huge shift. That's a huge shift. Jason, we're coming up on our time here on Sales Lead Dog. If people want to reach out, connect with you, they want to uh, find out more about um, the Cutter Consulting Group, what's the best way for them to do that? So if you want to know about the book, the podcast, any of that, the consulting, simplest place is jasoncutter.com. So that's a hub for all of those things. If you want to buy the book directly, I'll send you an autographed copy. Uh, I also do book clubs for organizations that buy them for everybody. And we do some, some coaching training packages. The consulting is in there, the podcast. Uh, so jasoncutter.com. If anyone wants to email me, it's jason at cutterconsultinggroup.com. Uh, and last I checked, I'm still the number one ranked Jason Cutter on Google. So when in doubt, just Google me. Uh, I've got my SEO going pretty good for the first, I don't know, three and a half pages. So you can find That's me That's pretty cool. Well. And we'll have all that in the show notes too, in case you missed any of that. Check out the show notes. Um, be sure to get the book, Selling with Authentic Persuasion. Um, Jason, thank you for coming on Sales Lead Dog. 
Chris, thanks for having me. This was a blast. And uh, I am sure we could have made this a very, very long episode talking about all kinds of sales stuff. So oh, I appreciate it. Yeah, I wish the the statistics, the listening stats supported a longer session because this <laughs> is definitely, we could have gone a long time. Well, we'll have to do a part two then. That's right. Point. That sounds great. Yeah. I love that. As we end this discussion on Sales Lead Dog, be sure to subscribe to catch all our episodes. On social media, follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. Watch the videos on YouTube. And you can also find our episodes on our website at impellercrm.com forward slash Sales Lead Dog. Sales Lead Dog is supported by Impeller CRM, delivering objectively better CRM for business, guaranteed.